morning everybody let's get started we'll pray lord god heavenly father we thank you that we can be here today to uh, to study your word and we pray that your spirit would be upon us so that as we read your word he would open it up to us that we might uh, understand it that we might believe it we pray these things in jesus name amen all right so um i was here last week uh so uh was there anything that was valuable, anything that stuck with you from, from last time we met? Yes. The lineup for the altar to the baptismal font because I was a place annoyed it was right in the middle of your Ah. So it's nice to know it has a reason. All right. Thank you. And there was a flag in the other picture. You asked us to turn the picture. Yeah. What about that? It was neat, but better even though I kind of like it without. Yeah, theologically speaking, um, I definitely prefer altars to not have the, their country's flags on them because uh, um, we are citizens of a different kingdom, you know, and so, uh, you know, the, the church, over the, over the centuries, the church has been used as an arm of the, uh, of the state. And um, we're not. We have a different function. You know, that's not to say that the church has nothing to say to the state. It's not to say that the state has nothing to say to the church. However, we are the church. And uh, um, sometimes we are called to obey God rather than men. And sometimes uh, we are called to tell the, uh, the state that what you're doing is immoral in the eyes of God. Uh, you know, those, those are part of our, our calling. And the church, we often use this word uh, to describe the church that it is Catholic, meaning that it is universal. So, say that you are a Christian from uh, China, and you come to the United States and you see an American flag on the altar of your Lord Jesus. What does this mean? Do you hear what I'm saying? Does that make sense? You know, we transcend nations. We're good citizens within our nations, but uh, you know, we, uh, we, we are more than Americans, and, uh, um, and when the, the rub comes to it, our loyalty does not lie with the United States. It remains with Christ. Did that start in the 50s when they started the Pledge of Allegiance in the schools? No, it started in the 40s when German Lutherans wanted to show that they were Americans and not Nazi sympathizers, and uh, they started to bring American flags, in, at least in the Lutheran church. I don't know about other denominations, but that was a big part of why they ended up in, in Lutheran churches. And to be frank, on the other side of the ocean, you know what the Nazis were doing. They were placing their flags on the altars of those churches and actually doing even more than that. So, what else? You know, German, in, in, in Nazi Germany, I mean, being a, a German Christian was, was not just putting the flag in there, it was well, basically repudiating great parts of violence. Well, yeah, it depends upon what you mean by German Christian. Because well, they had a specific, with yeah. capital G and a capital C. Yeah. Just like we talk about our church being Catholic, it's with a small C. Yep. In Germany, they had a specific organization. Yes. And they appointed a, a Reichsbischof, the, the state bishop, to remove, remove all traces of Jewishness from the Bible. Yep. And I don't know. I can do that with the Old Testament. <laughs> you, 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 you just get rid of it. That's yeah. how you do it. You just get rid of it. Yeah. Um, some of you know uh, about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, quasi-Lutheran pastor, um, and uh, uh, he, the, the final thing that, well, the final thing that got him in trouble was participating in an assassination attempt which that will get you into trouble. Um, but one of the, the last things that kind of got him on the, uh, the dirty list as far as the Nazis were concerned is he wrote a, a beautiful little book 
um, on the Psalms. And that was verboten, because it's Old Testament, that's Jewishness. And uh, you know, it's called the prayer book of the Bible. It's, it's one of the best things that he wrote. So, and it's short too. So if you ever you know, want to get your hands on that, it's, it's a lovely little book. Called the Prayer Book of the Bible by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't recommend everything that Bonhoeffer wrote, but that is definitely one of them. Well, you do, you do know that we went to the concentration camp. He was hung at. Do you remember that? I did not remember that you had gone there, but yeah. 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 Um, yesterday, my cousin Tom and his wife Betsy uh, stopped by, and they. they um, dropped off uh, their grandkids, shot a couple deer, and part of it's actually in the freezer here because <laughs> um, we ran out of space. And uh, so I'll, I'll be butchering that over the next week or so. And uh, um, but her dad was um, part of the American troops that uh, liberated uh, the, the concentration camp he was at two days after von Hafer was executed. So, yeah. Anything else from last week? You did a fine job not being prepared. Thanks. <laughs> oh, I said I'm not supposed to say that. So, no, that's fine. I have no problem with that at all. So one of the things that uh, um, I'm learning, maybe, I, I don't know. Um, if you're not prepared, just talk about something that you know about, you know? I, I do know about a couple things, so I, anything else? All right, then let's jump into uh, and, and maybe even wrap up Romans 14. Uh, 14 verses 13 through 18. Therefore, let us no longer judge one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one it is unclean. For if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you, will no longer <clears throat> you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your, heart, let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. Now, <clears throat> one of the things that's important for us whenever we're reading the scriptures is to remember the context Romans 14 is very much focused on uh, eating and drinking. Um, and, well, no, not even drinking. It gets brought up here because it's kind of that, uh, it's hard to talk about eating without drinking. You know, those, those things are always together. But by uh, eating and the day of worship, eating and Sabbath. And the eating had to do with eating meat that had been offered to idols. You know, it doesn't say that specifically in the text. We just kind of gather that from the, you know, what we know about Rome. We know about what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and that's very um, specific about meat that has been sacrificed to idols. We know that this was an issue for Christians in the church from the writings of the early church leaders in the first century uh, and into the second century. Um, so um, we, we're just kind of, that, that, that's what's going on here. So, when it says, let us no longer judge one another, there's more going on here than don't judge people. We're talking about these specific items. Remember that the first verse of chapter 14 says, don't argue about disputed matters. What God calls sin is not a disputed matter. This isn't, you know, you can't look at me and judge me because I did this, that, or the other thing. No, we call sin, sin. That's what we're called to do. Um, and we speak 
that word of sin in order to bring about forgiveness. It's like what I talked about uh, in the sermon for those of you who were, who were here, that part of the purpose of the law is to drive us to the uh, idea we need a savior. And frankly, when we water down the message about sin, we water down the need for a savior. So this, this, is, not, this is not talking about, you know, stealing. It's not talking about adultery. It's not talking about, you know, any of, of, of those things. He's talking about what we might call adiaphora. Or we might if we know that word. Um, uh, adiaphora is a theological term. It means uh, matters that are neither commanded nor prohibited. Does God ever tell us that you should uh, serve your country by joining the armed forces? He does not. Does he ever say, do not serve your country by joining the armed forces? He does not. Are there people who have conflicting feelings about whether or not you should join the armed forces out of good and right Christian desire? Yes. That's adiaphora. God has not said yes, he has not said no. And so we choose and we live by grace. In the case that we're talking about here, has God said that there is a particular day of the week that should be worshipped upon? He did initially, didn't he? And Jesus came along and, and Jesus is God. And he specifically speaks to that item and he, he pulls it back. So that the Sabbath is not made, uh, man is not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is made for man. And he brings this freedom to worship on any day. In fact, it becomes clear that our whole lives are to be uh, worship. You know, so now what day do we need to gather? It becomes kind of a every day, any day, when you can. All, all, of, all of those things. You know, I don't think we're free to not worship, though. I think that that's, you know, that's very much part of what God desires is for us to come, to hear his word, to receive his gifts. Meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Were there certain meats that were forbidden to the Jewish people? Yep. Did Jesus say anything about food being clean or unclean. Yeah, he says what goes in comes out, which I remember my teenage self clicking what that meant. Um, <laughs> it's like, that's kind of funny actually. Um, but uh, he, uh, you know, he says that all food is clean. That's a change. You know, when, when, when Jesus speaks to it, something that was said in the Old Testament and he changes it, it's, it's changed. You know, all of a sudden these are matters that, you know, if I grew up in a good Jewish home and I have never eaten pork, is it okay for me to decide to never eat pork? Sure. There's nothing wrong with that. And on the other side of that, if I realize the brilliance of ham. Is there anything in ham sandwiches? And is there anything wrong with you know, stacking up one of those bad boys about that high and just chowing down? No. These are matters of freedom. And they're free because God has made them free. Right. That is true. And that's the important part to remember. And I never listen to anything. <laughs> like, this looks so good. It smells so good. It tastes so good. I'm gonna have it no matter what. <laughs> we'll see. I will I'll deal with the consequences, but I got to have it. And some of it's very good for you. Yeah, and I found out that well, nothing matters. It's a it's a free it's part of God's gifts. 
Right. And we receive them with joy. Exactly. So, um, I remember some years ago hearing a, uh, a presentation talking about what is the most famous verse of the Bible. And for years and years and years, the most famous verse of the Bible was John 3.16. Thanks in no small part to the NFL. You know, somebody be sitting in the end zone with a sign that just says John 3.16. Um, um, my, my dad had a friend who was agnostic toward atheistic and, uh, and one day he came over and he said, I read part of the Bible. Oh. You know, we're like, what? You know, and, and uh, he's like, yeah, I was watching the football game and there's this nut there with a sign that says John 3.16. I didn't know what it said. You know, so apparently somebody did open their Bible and see what the sign meant. Um, and for a lot of time, they, they said that that was the, the most famous verse in the Bible. And you all know John 3.16, I assume? Yes? For God so loved the, the world, yeah, that he gave his only begotten son. Which if you're going to have a most famous verse of the Bible, I think that's a really good one. It, it sums up the heart and the core of our faith. Sometime in the, uh, the 90s, um, that shifted and the most famous verse of the Bible uh, came from Matthew chapter 7. Judge not lest ye be judged. But again, read the context. Read what Jesus is actually talking about. It is really easy to take a passage out and, and to twist it to what we want it to say. In fact, isn't that what the devil kind of does? And in John chapter 7, Jesus does say, Judge not lest ye be judged. For with the measure that with which you judge, you will be judged yourself. But when you read it through, he's very much talking about hypocrisy. He's talking about, don't try to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye when you got a log in your own. Live in forgiveness, live under God's law together. Let that be your standard and let grace be the thing that you know, you know, keeps you in the faith. Ed. Whenever John 3.16 comes up, Jill is always reminding me of John 3.17. Yep. That gets often left by the wayside. Yeah. Do you want to read it? Sure. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Yep. Yep. Jesus says, um, I did not come to judge the world. You have a judge. His name's Moses. In other words, the commandments. God has spoken. He spoke through his servant Moses. That word condemns, truly. And Jesus did not come to condemn us because we already were, and apart from him are. He comes to save the world. And he does that by dying on the cross and rising, you know, putting himself in our place to receive the condemnation on himself. You know, and, uh, you know, and as Christians then, you know, we, we seek to live in those ways that, that God has commanded us to live within. And yet our hope and our confidence before God is not that we're going to get it right, but that our sins are forgiven. So we call sin, sin. And we speak grace lavishly upon those who sin. Yeah. Because Jesus is God, would that be almost saying he's blending himself because he made something that was not perfect or was not as up to his expectations? So he's taking, so he's like noticing that yes, you're flawed. No, the message of the scriptures is really consistent. That you know, if there's sin in the world, that's our fault. You know, and and so what God is saying is, you can't save yourself. You can't you can't bear this load, and I love you too much to let you to try. To bear this load and so I'm going to save you from yourself like the footprint like the poem with the footprints in the sand very similar very similar idea yes yep yep um, then uh, when you uh, let's see where was I on here 
So when we look at this idea of, uh, of disputed matters, uh, we, we do get into the matter of, of um, wisdom. And uh, I love what 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says about, about, it talks about legal disputes, but I think that this gets into the conversations that we have in terms of freedom and you know, how we live in, in relationship to one another. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says, um, if any of you has a dispute against another, how dare you take it to court before the unrighteous? If there is an argument within the church, we're not supposed to have lawsuits within the church. Why, why would we go to you know, the laws of this world when we have God's law, which stands above all of that? Um, he says, you know, you go to the, the, the courts uh, of the unrighteous, why don't you go to the saints? Or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? That is given to us, that you know, we will judge the world. And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases? Which, sometimes those cases aren't trivial. in, in early, But it's like, is there anybody with wisdom among you? And it, he, he basically says, you know, there are people. You've been given this right. You've been given this privilege. He says, don't you know we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? We are given to judge what is right and wrong, what is true. We have a standard that we live by in the scriptures. So if you have such matters, do you appoint as your judges those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one, no one wise person among you who's able to arbitrate between fellow believers? And usually the question is, or the answer is, no, there's people who are wise enough to handle this. It's just that we're not willing to submit ourselves to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead, Ed. Well, it just it brings to mind cases of, of, of child abuse mm. where the churches in their great wisdom have just shuffled people from one congregation to another and allowed the abuse to continue for decades. Yeah. And so, again, the, the, the church has its its divine parts, but it's, it's essentially still a human institution. But that's not the same thing. Well, it, it's, it's, it's not a doctrinal dispute. It's, it's a, you know... It, it, when <laughs> when, when a, a priest commits, you know, sexual sin, yeah. th I mean, that is condemned by Scripture. And yes. if the church then shuffles that person off, the, the church has not done its responsibility. Yes, exactly. You know, and so, you know, it's almost the opposite side of, of what this is talking about. It refuses to judge, you know, it, it refuses yeah. to live up to that, you know. This is the church in the end is run by mortals, and, and sometimes it's not going to live up to its responsibility. That's true, we live by grace, but in the case that you're talking about, you know, in order for the protection of children, yeah. you know, and anybody really, um, you know, those are cases that you know, they're not disputed matters. These are sin. Mm -hmm. And they need to be called sin. Oh, yeah. And they need to be condemned. Yeah. And the people who commit them, they need to, you know, if they're in leadership, they need to be removed from yeah. leadership. And, and the important thing, I think, is, is, is that we, we, we get off of the hang-up of punishment and say that the first job is to remove these people from that environment so that they no longer have the ability to do that. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, they need to be uh, removed from office. We also need to make sure that we care for the people who have been injured, who yeah. have been harmed. Um, but uh, th this is a big debate within our, our, our church. You know, not, the, not the, uh, the pedophilia stuff, thankfully. I'm not saying it doesn't exist within Lutheran circles, but that doesn't tend to be our, our, our major scandal. Um, you know, but I know of a, a number of pastors who uh, they had affairs. In fact, we could speak to the first pastor of this church, right? Um, pastor Robbie, um, he was here five, six, seven years, I think. And uh, 
he ran off with the, uh, the, the uh, president of the congregation's wife. Um, and, uh, you know, the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod removed him from ministry. Then he found another church body that would accept him, and he's in ministry. He was in ministry there. I'm pretty sure he died a few years ago. Go ahead, Ed. I did see one horrifying article. I, I can't say that I've checked out to see how the numbers actually end up. But it was saying this, the, 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 the sexual abuse has not been as big an issue for Protestant churches because Protestants abuse little girls. And that doesn't bother people as much as, as Catholics who abuse little boys. And people see the boys as more important. So I, I, I don't know. I can't imagine that we'd really say, well, don't worry about that. So I, I, I'm not sure. I wish I knew a little more of what factual stuff went into that. Yeah, that, I think that there's a little bit of opinion and twist on that because I can tell you that uh, the times that I've experienced you know, um, a girl who's been abused, yeah. I've absolutely wanted to kill the abuser. I, you know, and, and I'm not saying that's good, right, or salutary, but that's that's the instinct. That's you know, I'm you know, nope. The person needs to be dead. Yeah. Yeah. Sue. Yeah. Well. In any case of child abuse, not only should the person be removed from leadership, but should it be reported to the Yes. Yeah. Yes. Should Yeah. There, there is, there is another aspect of that. That person needs to be prosecuted. Absolutely. Yeah, that is not something that's kept secret. It's not something that is shuffled to the side. Um, it is dealt with. This, this is criminal. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, that's, a very, that's a very important step to take. Yeah. Nowadays, uh, this abusive stuff has gone to a certain limit that nowadays parents force their children to take drugs. I have seen this. I mean, I, I, I experienced that um, when I... Like um, when we do our pantry and stuff, and I walk around in Akron, and I basically like knock at their door and invite them that there's pantry stuff going on, food away going on, clothing going on. You guys are invited. Give them the information. This like from 11 to 1, we're having this. Um, that period of time, uh, it's for them. It's kind of like they just wake up. Now they have to uh, find some way to survive for the day and uh, the kids want to know what I'm going to do for the day and the parents is like, you don't need any food, you don't need to go to the pantry, you don't need to go to the uh, go for clothing. What you need, you need some crack, get on it, get high and get some money. Number one. Uh, number two, another stuff which is going on, which is getting very, very popular nowadays is like people are loving, especially like grown up kids, they love to see um, football games or NFL and this kind of stuff. And their parents are basically abusing their brain by giving their brain much that if you want to become like that, if you want to become like a beast like that, uh, you need to be high on cocaine or some kind of drug. So instead of finding, so I mean that's how they talk, like going to the food pantry or going to the church, having some free food, ain't gonna do anything. You got to get on drugs to do something. So that's how, that's, that's the most advanced and recent abuse going on with the kids. And I believe that um, if you guys see that any children or any kid is showing these kind of signs and symptoms that they are not acting normal or they are not, they have been abused, I think we should report that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, uh, you know, um, I'm a mandatory reporter. Chris is too. Yeah. This is Teresa. You know, if you're if you're an educator or a clergy, you know, it's mandatory. Right. Yeah. Um, when when you read through this section in Romans 14, um, I, I want you to see that there is a there's a really strong call for compassion between believers. Um, and that compassion then isn't just a matter of I feel for you. It actually will lead to self-imposed curbs on our freedom. That we will choose to behave in ways that will protect our neighbors. 
Um, the whole section here in Romans 14 is highly relational. Um, and I think that that's, I think that's culturally significant and challenging for us. Um, U.S. American culture is traditionally individualistic and independent. You know, my freedom, I'm going to do what I want. And um, there are other cultures that are more communal and interdependent. But uh, Paul is calling us to care about our neighbors to the point where we would actually give up some of our freedom for the sake of others. Yeah, Alex. Yeah, it's incredibly challenging for me specifically. But, um, you know, uh, like the, the, the verse 15, um, you know, if your brother or sister is distressed by what you eat, uh, then you're, you're not living in love, right? And if you mix that with um, what I think, I think it's the next verse in the Corinthians, that is why not rather be wrong, why not rather be cheated? It's kind of like, so I don't like the, the thought of living my life so that other people can cheat and wrong me or, or living my life according to what someone else wants me to do. Um, well, this isn't about what somebody else wants you to do. This is you seeing them and you see their need and in love you choose to act in a particular way about the, around them. Okay. This is something that I've struggled with. Um, we will have people who, we don't have it so much here because we're kind of, we're kind of off the beaten path. Uh, but in, in the church that I served in Michigan, we were right on a, a main road and we would have people who would stop in sometimes and they want help with gas or they want help with groceries or, you know, complete strangers. And, I know that some of them were cheating us. I, I know. Um, there's, a, there's actually a network in Hudson. Uh, Hudson has a, a social worker um, that uh, we try to clear everybody who, who comes to the churches through, you know, so that you know, we, uh, uh, we basically try to protect to make sure that we're not being cheated, but at the same time that people are getting care. Um, I, I actually think it's brilliant. The churches started it, and, the, um, and when we didn't have enough money to fund that position anymore, the city took it on. So, I mean, that good for Hudson. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, we, we get emails regularly. So-and-so is in town. He's busy, you know, hitting up the churches again. Don't give him anything. Send him to us. You know, and... There were times though, and you know, I'm like, I heard the good story. I feel compassionate. I don't quite believe you. So what am I going to do? Here's the money. And if you're cheating me, you know, God will take care of that. Yeah, I guess, you know, it demands faith to just say, God's gonna take care of it, I'll just be cheated. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, Sometimes that, that's a strong act of faith for a lot of people. It is. It is. But you know, a lot of the people I know, if, if they truly are in need, they're too humble to ask for help. Sometimes. Yep. So I've seen that more often than not. I mean, there are some people that I have known in the past that would be the first one in line at free food, even though they don't need it. And usually the people that need it the most you will not see them asking for food. Mm. They're going to be too humble and too ashamed. So they're going to sit there and suffer in silence. Yeah, that's, that's definitely the case in, in, in certain. Others are like, I know I need, and so I'm there. Yeah. Michael, you were going to say something. Oh, hold on, Michael's going to say something. Oh, mine was going to what he was saying when I first moved out here. And I was living in Lake when I took the bus in, and I'd always see this homeless guy on the street, you know, asking for money. And I gave him change every day for months. And one day I just asked him, "Hey, what do you do?" He goes, "Oh, I just I hang out at the library all day. I don't do anything. I have no intention of doing anything ever in my life." I at that point I realized what was going on and stopped. But it, 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 I, it was brave of him to actually tell the truth. Yeah. But I gave him one last shot, and I'm like, okay, this is. This is what I have, and you'll not see me again. I, my dad always said, like, if you wanted someone to stand on a street corner all day, if you were, wanted someone to do that, you'd pay them to do it. So, 
writing a few paying people standing in the corner. <laughs> you know, and, and also, by paying them, you're kind of leading them down a path that they probably shouldn't be going to be reliant. That's sometimes the case. Yeah. Sue? When my brother lived in New York City, and would be approached by people who would say, could I have whatever for a cup of coffee? He would say, come on, let's go have a cup of coffee together. Yeah. And usually the person would walk away. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's a balance. I don't think you have to, you know, hand out like that when anyone asks for it. Well, that's something that, with our ministry, uh, we don't carry money. At least we say we don't carry money mm -hmm. because they'll be, they'll ask for money too, you know. Yeah. And, and we say no. This is our ministry is to give you food and supplies. We we don't carry money um, for that very reason. Yeah. Now that that thing is happening because I, I know why that why that happened because uh, these people they open up their mind to me and let me know what's going on. That thing is happening because they are frustrated. Number one, and they are super depressed. Having the same, getting the same cycle, getting the same thing happening to them over and over again. Give them money, food, whatever that is, and then at the end, give them the money by your life. Okay. Everybody, like 99% of these people, uh, who are standing at the street, why? I mean, each and every uh, region or each and every um, county has some kind of homeless shelter. They can easily go up there. Up there, but why they do not go up there? Because they know that they will go up there. They will get food. They will get shelter. But at the end of the day, they have to. Be, they will get forced by religion, which they do not want. And their belief, their system is God. You cannot force God to us. You cannot force religion to us. And um, to be practical experience, that is very true because. At some point, they have been forced too much that today is this day and you have to read this verse no matter what. If you don't do it, then disclaimer, disclaimer. You'll be kicked out from the facility. And that becomes, um, that brought up their mind that you know, everybody is in, have some intention to do that. So we're not going to listen to anybody. That's the reason why, like you said, that person goes to the library. But he does not. But you can give him some encouragement that while you are going to the library and uh, you are going through all these books and stuff, that means you have tons of resources. Why don't you write a book about yourself? Or why don't you write something which you do believe and from your experience and just publish it? I'll help you publish it. How about I finance that no, in my, that way? My guy is just pure yeah. oh, okay. So I, I, I think a big part of what you, you just hit there, though, is, you know, when we talk about you know, caring for people and helping them, um, what, which would be more helpful for me to give the person a dollar or to actually help them write the book in, in your, yeah. your circumstance, mm -hmm. you know, if you've got the wherewithal to do that. Yeah. You know, basically so. What, basically what exactly they're asking for, they are basically asking for something to keep their brain busy. And that's exactly what we need to do. That's exactly the help they need. Instead of, providing them stuff and then just letting them know, okay, fine, I have this intention. I want you to come to my church or I want you to go to that shelter so that they can make their business, they can make money. Um, but the main focus is to approach them that, hey, you're not a product. Uh, first thing first, I wanted to make sure that I'm here just to give you the message, just to give you the information. To get your brain busy, well, you are living in this world. To get your brain busy, you need some food, you need some shelter, you need some clothing, some basic supplies. Here are the basic supplies. And God bless you. I did my job, I did my part, and that's done. Now the journey is yours. You take care of yourself, get your brain busy, and get on it. And for some people that will work. I don't, yeah. I don't know that that's always the case, though. That's not always the case, but 80% yeah. um, of yeah. the... 80% 80% uh, is like having this frustration going on. Yeah. I mean, that's what they told me. All right, Sue and then Ed. I'm not quite sure what you're saying, but I do think ministries like Haven of Rest are effective and good. They do provide food for people. Yep. They also say, and let us share the gospel with you. Because ultimately, yes, people are so hungry, they need food. 
but ultimately they need eternal life in Christ. So I have no problem in saying, and now you're going to hear a message. Why not? Yeah. You know, that's, there are all kinds of groups around us that can do all kinds of things, but only the church can share the gospel. And right. that's our call. Yeah. Yep. Ed, did you have something on top of that? I, no, I, one of the things that really confounded me once was I was at a highway rest stop. And, and I've seen some other things like this. If someone comes up makes no effort at all to look poor. No. It's very middle class. I'm just like you, but I don't have my credit card with me and my car just broke down. And it could have been true. And there's, there's no place I can send him to, and, you know, mine usually sort of say, well, you know, I, I can make my donations through the church and let them figure this stuff out. Uh, here's a resource you can get in touch with. There was nothing like that. I finally gave him a small amount of money, but I just had no idea whether this guy was just a good con man or whether, or whether he really had a problem. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to tell. Ken. Yeah. yeah, another alternative to the money is we had a friend who, uh, she would have Subway or like Panera gift cards. Yeah. People would ask for money for food and she'd go, well, here you're going to have yeah, whatever amount it was. I'm a big fan of gift cards. Um, in my former church, we were really blessed for a period of time. Uh, we had a relationship with a local grocery store down the road and um, I could give them a personal letter and they would be allowed to buy whatever they want except for tobacco and alcohol you know and, and then they would send us the bill and at some point um, that owner you know sold it off and they weren't willing to do that with us anymore but uh, yeah that was that was nice so um, verse 14 nothing in itself uh, is unclean and again this is talking about food um, and he says I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus um, I like, I like this. I know and am persuaded. You know, it's just this idea that, that God's at work in, in my life so that these are things that I can understand and, and be moved to understand as well. I can understand it here, but it, you know, it's, it's, it's a persuasive thing too. Uh, and it's about the work of Jesus in our lives. You know, I think of Jesus' statement in, in Mark 16 that I referenced earlier. It actually makes me wonder, did Paul have any of the Gospels? You know, it's, it's possible uh, by the end of his life. You know, I think that the earliest Gospels were probably written mid-40s to early 50s. I know that disagrees with what some scholars will say, but uh, I disagree with them. And, uh, you know, I can find other scholars, so whatever. Um, One of the thoughts that I, I continue to have about And stuff was um, and that it was unclean uh, because uh, because it, it had to be cooked right or that, it would make you sick. That is one of the theories in terms of why God said that. Yeah. Um, another one, another one that I like uh, is that it has to do with human sacrifice. Um, you know. The, Okay, not to get too graphic or gross or anything, but apparently that smell of pork, that's a lot like what we smell like if we get cooked. And, um, and the, cry, uh, the cry of a child um, is, is, a pig will make a very similar squealing sound when it's, when it's small as an as a infant might make. You know, and so when you think back to the Old Testament, the infant sacrifices, the child sacrifices of the time, um, and, you know, that that was related to that. You know, so we don't even have pigs because we're not sacrificing our children. We don't, we don't kill our children for our future. That's not who God has called us to be. Yeah. In some cannibalistic societies, uh, human meat is referred to as long pig. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, also, like, in some, in some of the religions, they have their... Like, like in our in our religion, we have our gospels. In some of the religions, they have the gospels written like that. Uh, that person or like that prophet was so much um, 
um, so much like humble to God that he, oh, oh my gosh, that when he was on sleep, he saw that God told him to sacrifice his child, his own child, and then God will bless him. And then he did that, but God was so happy about him that sacrificing his child, his child, God do a magical thing, and instead of that, uh, a lamb or yeah, maybe a lamb, maybe a camel, a camel got sacrificed, a gold got sacrificed. Yeah, you know, and, and I think, I think that understanding how prevalent human sacrifice was in Canaanite religion, it, it, it actually uh, gives a little perspective on uh, the Abraham Isaac story, that all the gods of the nations requested this. Why wouldn't Yahweh? Oh, he doesn't. You know, I mean, that, that's kind of the end of it, you know, you know. You think I'm like these other gods, but no, I will provide the actual lamb, just like you said, Abraham. And, you know, it, it just really the, the sense of, um, you know, God bringing forgiveness and salvation. It, you know, it's not about what we offer. It's about what God has offered to us, who God has offered to us. So there's a lot in here that deal with the matters of freedom, conscience, love, um, and I would like to actually spend a little bit of time talking about love. Um, and uh, to get at this, I'd like to get at, at 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, if you've got a Bible, you know, whether it's on your phone or if you've got an uh, old school Bible in front of you, um, would you mind opening to 1 Corinthians 13? Now, As, as I've been a pastor for 25 years now. When I was first in the ministry, I really hated when people had this as their epistle reading for weddings. Now I only mildly dislike it. Um, well, I, I just, I'm not as curmudgeon, I'm actually less curmudgeonly about some things and more about others, um, which I think are actually more important. But uh, um, when we hear this word love, you know, especially in the context of a wedding. And if you had this, I'm not saying you did anything wrong. Don't, you know, don't hear what I'm not saying. Uh, when we hear this word love, especially in the concept of a wedding, we're actually thinking of romance. But those of you who grew up in the King James Version, you know, what's, what's the word that's there instead of love? Charity. Charity. Because the word there, um, you, got, you got a number of words that mean love in Greek. Um, and uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the word for love that we think of in marriage is actually eros, where we get the word erotic, right? Um, and uh, the word that is here and through almost all of the Bible is the word agape. And agape is a different kind of love. Um, and it's one of the things that I lament. Um, I say this a lot. You probably even already know. I, you know, I love my wife. I love my children. I love ham sandwiches. Those are not the same gloves. If it were, it'd be really weird. <laughs> this this word here is agape, and that and actually, I didn't even hit on this kind of love in my my list of three things there. The love between husband and wife. That word was is eros. The love between. Um, Children and, and parents, that's called storge. I'm not even sure what you would call, you know, love of a particular food or whatever. Um, but this word agape, it, it's really rooted in God's attitude toward us. It's connected to grace. Um, and it has the sense of desiring God's best gifts for somebody in their lives. It's desiring God's good for them, God's blessings for them. And so when it says here, I speak in the tongues of men and angels, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love or charity, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and, I have, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not 
love, this desire for God's good to be done in the lives of others, I am nothing. If I, if I give away all that I have, you know, and so on and so forth. But look at verse 4 through 7, and actually uh, verse eight, all the way to verse 8. Look at how love is described here. It's patient, kind. It's not envious. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. That's part of what we were talking about earlier. Um, it's not irritable. I, I need to sit on that one for a second. Um, <laughs> It's not resentful. It doesn't look at what other people have and then resent what they have and I don't have. Uh, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love does not rejoice in sin. But it rejoices with truth. And yet it bears all things. It's patient. It, 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 it actually you know, lifts burdens it believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And I think a cool little exercise is to remember from 1 John chapter 4, the Apostle, Paul, or Apostle John writes, God is love. Jesus is love. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. He does not insist in his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. He, he does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but he rejoices in the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That, that's what love is. It's being like Jesus. You know, uh, I have made fun over the little uh, um, uh, band, the what would Jesus do things? Remember, I used to be more irritable than I am today. Um, Debatable, right, Chris? <laughs> but maybe there is a little bit of room for that. What would Jesus do in terms of how we live, you know, in light of what the scriptures are telling us here? We've got to go to church. Uh, Ken, uh, yeah. Trivia about Bonhoeffer, his uh, nephew, uh, Christoph Nanyi or something like that. Yep, the Nanyi. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. We, we had a member uh, here who knew the Dananye family and yeah, yeah.